Welcome to Cash Money. My name is Patrick Vieira, and I'm joined today with the CIO of Cash, Brian Hankey, and also with Steve Kusmatisen, CEO of the Norwegian Block Exchange, better known as NBX. Welcome both. Great to have you on air, and let's get this started. Stieg, can you tell us a bit about yourself and what got you to start NBX? Yeah, sure. And uh, first, thanks for having me on this podcast. Yeah, my name is Stieg Schulz Mathisen, CEO of uh, NBX. And uh, NBX has a bit of a funny story. Uh, of course, history or backdrop is uh, a bit different than, uh, than most, at least most crypto exchanges that I know of. NBX started in 2018. It was actually our uh, chairman of the board and me. We were actually out going cross-country skiing Christmas break in uh, 2017. And this was basically when, for those who remember, this was the last real big hype. Uh, that's when most people in the world uh, learned about uh, cryptocurrency. Everybody was talking about it. The news outlet was full of articles about gains and uh, ups and downs. And we were basically, and, and both of us were working in, in uh, Norwegian Airshuttle at the time. Uh, Bjorn, who was uh, our, who is our chairman, he was at that time the CEO and also the biggest owner of that airline. And he's also the founder of Norwegian Airshuttle. And one of the one of the problems that has been, and, and this goes for all kind of airline, and it's it's a it's a cross industry problem. That is basically cash flow. Of course, uh, how uh, most airlines work is that they sell a ticket, you, and depending on if if it's mostly business travels or leisure travels, it uh, depends about kind of how long uh, prior to the trip the, the customer uh, books the ticket. So I think on average, if it's a bit, if it's mainly business trips for an airline, you have uh, maybe thirty days. Uh, if it's leisure, it's up to ninety days. And what does this mean? Yeah, well, this means that for most airlines, it means that they sell a ticket, but they actually don't receive the funds until the trip has done. And that is because the credit card companies hold back the cash until the trip is done. Uh, and that means that. Uh, most airlines have uh, high revenue, but not necessarily a stable flow of cash coming in. And for Norwegian, I think at the most, the credit card acquirers kind of held back almost 1.1 billion US dollars. That is basically working capital that you have to finance uh, or find a different way to finance. And then it's typically bond markets, which is expensive, of course. So what... So going there skiing, we were kind of like, okay, how can we solve this problem? I basically told them that, you know, if we moved all the ticket sales over to cryptocurrency as a means of payment, you would basically receive all the funds within minutes. And it was like, hmm, that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> they started looking more into it. And actually on that ski trip, we decided that let's start a crypto exchange. Of course, we basically wanted to build a payment solution for the airline, but we needed a exit fiat exit ramp for Norwegian Kroners. So we had first to build the exchange before we could build the payment solution. But of course, when we launched, Corona came. The airline industry got way more uh, or bigger problems than um, than finding optimizing payment gateways. So I guess that's kind of where we started. We launched two years ago, and uh, now we are uh, mainly serving the Nordic market. 
But we have uh, international uh, customers and we are offering uh, fiat gateways for uh, Europe, uh, Norwegian kroners, Danish kroners and Swedish kroners. We have euros as well. And uh, yeah, so that's SEPA payments, which is very convenient. I have one question about what you were saying. Does that mean that airlines have a different arrangement with credit card companies than typical merchants? I mean, nope. they hold, you said they hold the payment back until the trip is completed. Yeah, it's and it depends a bit, but actually, it's it's not actually that different. But it's the what is usual with the credit card companies uh, is that the credit card companies hold back the payment until the goods good is delivered right and uh, when you go in a store the and you buy something the good is delivered because you're actually taking the good uh, the goods with you out out the door a plane ticket is basically the item or the trip or the thing that you bought is actually not delivered until you actually perform the trip but of course it's it's not like it's not like the credit card acquirers or the companies kind of hold back everything but they do hold back a substantial amount because if an airline goes bankrupt actually you will have you can ask for a return from the credit card acquirer and that is why they are so of course strict toward it it's basically uh, risk management on their behalf of course if you have a couple of airlines in your portfolio as a credit card acquirer you certainly don't want go bankrupt uh, just because the airline goes bankrupt. But does that mean that if I purchase a plane ticket for vacation a year in advance, I'm going to have to pay for that within the next 30 to 60 days? Is the credit card company just helping themselves to an interest-free loan from you? Oh, yeah, that's that's how it works. Yeah, they actually they they keep your keep your money and get the interest on it and then uh, depending on kind of how how many days they kind of hold back. Yeah. It's a very interesting discussion because you hear often from cryptocurrency critics that you can't buy anything with cryptocurrency, nobody wants to sell anything for it, nobody wants to accept it. It's interesting to hear that a major industry player like an airline actually wants to have this. Yeah. And we were actually kind of like um, when we played with, or not played with the numbers, but when we kind of looked at uh, at the business case, and we, we basically saw that. And of course, this is a hypothetical, of course, uh, kind of setup or or uh, that. But if you moved all the ticket sales from credit card to cryptocurrency, you would have like one year, like a one-time effect of two hundred million uh, US dollars. And after that, a yearly saving in transaction fees, about 80 million US dollars every year. That is basically what you would, what that particular airline would save uh, one time effect. And then thereafter yearly, moving from uh, credit cards to to, um, crypto payments. That's incredible. It is. I think... Yes, you will see large companies and corporations discovering this in the like coming time. I think just imagine kind of Amazon, how many like all the transactions going on Amazon, eBay and all those, how many of those kind of 
how, how much fees is actually paid to Visa and MasterCard on, on all those transactions? It, it's just, it, it would blow your mind. I remember a notice from Amazon Singapore, I think it was, and maybe some other countries that they were applying a surcharge to their visa transactions to pass on some of the costs that they were being charged by visa. It seems rather incredible that credit card processing fees are going up because they're percentage-based, so they can't blame it on inflation. And one would think that with modern automation, it should be easier to process credit card transactions today, not harder. Yeah, it is actually kind of strange how they how they actually are in a position to, to increase it. Are you planning with NBX to offer some kind of a liquidity or payment service for other companies that are interested in doing the same thing since you've already built this? Yeah, so so we, we definitely are still pursuing uh, kind of building um, payment solutions for merchants and, and companies. We have applied for a e-money license in uh, Norway. That is basically a payment institution so or a payment processor. It is basically it's an ongoing or it's it's an active application. I think it's a bit difficult for the Norwegian FSA to kind of respond to it and how and, and how to go forward because we are the first company applying to do kind of crypto payments. I guess it's a kind of a paradox that to be a payment institution, you have to process payments of kind of legal tender and is crypto legal tender so it's kind of like uh maybe maybe so it, it's it's also a kind of like a definition question so it's like i don't think they have really know what to answer of course if they say well crypto is not a legal tender we can just say okay cool then we can actually do payments unregulated then you will have no oversight and obviously they don't want that we and we don't want that either because it's going to process payments for large corporations i think it's a trusting and transparency thing for everyone that we are actually regulated but then again if the if the regulators say that yeah that's fine you can you can process payments for crypto then they're basically saying that well crypto is a legal tender yeah so <laughs> i don't know maybe you call it a catch 22 or something we'll see but we definitely, when, when, uh, once we get that, either we get a license or they say that you don't need it, we will, uh, we will definitely launch payment solution for basically any e-commerce uh, uh, site or uh, corporation that wants to, to process uh, or accept uh, crypto as payments. Yeah, that makes sense. MBX is regulated as a as a custodian and um, exchange for uh, virtual currencies. So we, we kind of we are already partly regulated, uh, or we are regulated, but um, we aren't regulated as a payment institution, at least not yet. But I think it's it's uh, kind of one of the other things that we are kind of, uh, or the next step for us uh, after uh, becoming a payment institution is also to to create kind of t- uh, stable coins. Um, so we want to continue or within that service, payment service, we also want to tokenize, for instance, the Norwegian kroner. Of course, we expect that 
even though uh, crypto payments or cryptocurrencies function fine as a means of payment, I think most companies would rather or would prefer to do uh, kind of crypto payments if they could use uh, a stable coin, especially in in a currency that is also kind of local to them or whatever is their kind of numbers in the balance sheet is. Of course, then you're really not taking any, uh, any currency risk, uh, but you are getting the max uh, effect of what the technology offer. Would you be the first Norwegian kroner stablecoin? Yeah, I think so. At least uh, to uh, to some amount. I don't. I'm not familiar with any projects that have tokenized Norwegian kroners, but of course, it's like everyone can do it. So it, uh, you never know if somebody have uh, kind of done it on a smaller scale. But we would probably be the first one. I, I would expect. Yeah. Okay, and I think one of your original intents, I believe, was to tokenize both gold and your local currency, which which is already happening, but. Why did you feel the need to have gold tokenized? It's it's kind of like having uh, having the kind of all the alternatives of uh, of investing in uh, or for traders, or at least what is uh, kind of seen as a safe haven, because it's like what. Some people would argue that Bitcoin is a safe haven for especially those uh, Bitcoin maximalists. They will say yeah, it's, a, it's a safe haven and it's a hedge against uh, inflation. Not sure everybody agrees with that anymore. Uh, and then you have the US dollar have and they have US, uh, US coin, uh, which is a, st- a stable coin for the, the US dollar. And then I would say that the third kind of safe haven would obviously be gold. And one of the kind of cool things uh, that I like about us having gold available is that when you when you see news in the weekends that you know will make the market crash on Monday, you actually have the possibility to go into gold uh, when the kind of normal regular markets is closed. And there you are. You're, you're exposed to gold when the markets open and crash on Monday. And then, uh, that's good. That's quite nice. I think it's also uh, one of the, the other things that we are kind of the strategic direction we are going to is, is to become a digital asset bank. And what does that mean? Well, it's basically a, a bank where you can uh, get uh, financial services um, on or with your digital assets and crypto. Tokenized gold is definitely one of the interesting things for us to look at, especially using for collateral, for instance, and loans. If you want, if you are in, if you are invested in gold, need cash or are buying a house or anything, maybe you can get a better interest if instead of selling the gold to get uh, to get free capital to buy a house, you can over collateralize the loan by, of course, having uh, the house in collateral, but also putting uh, the tokenized gold in collateral. And then you can still be exposed uh, and be invested in gold, obviously also own a house. It's one of the things that when you're kind of building a proof of concept for, for instance, uh, having collateral in, in tokens, Gold would probably be the the most 
feasible thing for all parties to, to start with. I have to remember that uh, you have to play along with uh, uh, the FSA here as well. And I think they are they're, they're more comfortable with us using gold as collateral than, uh, for instance, NFTs, CryptoPunks or uh, whatnot, even though we're going to do that too later. But uh, yeah. That leads me to another question. Do you have any new listings coming up on the exchange? And what type of criteria do you look for to find new tokens to list or new assets to list? So we have, uh, we have, uh, we are uh, working on, we have, uh, I guess, a short list on uh, kind of new uh, currencies uh, or uh, cryptos to list. Uh, one of the, the kind of the most uh, important for us is uh, after we have like vetted for security and uh, that the technology is uh, at least as safe as uh, and secure as, uh, as, as it can be. It's obviously also what our customers want. So we are uh, listening to, to what our customers uh, want. And so it's obviously a commercial aspect uh, from it. But we also would favor currencies that would, for instance, offer staking or uh, passive income opportunities such that our customers that is uh, invested or investing in those, in those cryptos, they can also kind of stake it and have a an, uh, passive income on it. Sounds like you have a lot of plans for new features and new assets. Are there any that you already have planned that you can share or not right now? I can't right now, but we have basically three important or focus areas for us uh, com- coming forward. First is listing new cryptos. It's getting an app. The third uh, is uh, making um, better and smoother uh, fiat on wraps for our customers. So kind of uh, more banks, uh, easier uh, payment ways like uh, card uh, or uh, open banking, which is uh, something we have here uh, over in Europe where you can basically... Uh, transfer funds from your uh, bank uh, uh, using our interface and um, so and i think that that's important having that uh, kind of smooth uh, smooth experience for uh, for customers and obviously uh, as short time as possible between the funds leaving your bank until you are actually able to buy crypto I believe it was mentioned that the tokenization of gold and let's say the krona is going to open up access to crypto lending. Can you go a little bit deeper into how this process will work? How it basically will work is that we will, and and this is much still on the drawing table. Can you imagine that we have basically we have become a digital asset bank. Uh, we have tokenized the Norwegian krona, meaning that. If you want to have interest or if you want to save, you can deposit your uh, tokenized NUC into a liquidity pool. If a different customer have, for instance, have uh, tokenized gold, uh, doesn't want to sell it, but wants to borrow, he can then put that gold, basically a collateral pool, or put that in a collateral position and borrow on that gold from that liquidity pool at an interest 
um, how, how it will work for those who have provided liquidity to the pool. They will obviously, depending on how big share of that pool you own, that if you own 1% of the, of the pool, you will have 1% of the interest that is paid to the pool. So the one who borrows basically pay to the whole pool and the pool distributes among their uh, contributors. One of the kind of cool things with this, when you, when you think about this as a way for saving, of course, uh, it's really, it's a saving product as well. It will be, uh, you will be able to deposit uh, in the beginning of the day. And then you can withdraw your funds at the end of the day with the interest that you have actually earned that day. So you don't have to wait until end of year to, and then you have some funny figures, uh, numbers coming into your account. Oh, what's this? Oh yeah, that's my interest. Yeah, that's right. You basically, you, you're, you're, uh, you're creating a continuous kind of flow of, of interest and, uh, for, for the, for the savers. Um, um, it you will basically make it more fun to save for people, and it, you can you can basically kind of almost gamify it. I think it will kind of revolutionize saving also because it basically seeing daily income, uh, passive income, or whatever on their savings will will definitely trigger some feelings and, and make more people actually start to save. It's pretty interesting because you you had started out how about how seeing um. This can can uh, help out with cash flow, and so now it's also like a savings cash flow. Blockchain technology and uh, DeFi, um, kind of the the hybrid between centralized finance or traditional finance and uh, decentralized finance. I think that bridge will probably be where we are, or in that area we will operate. It's got to be so exciting to see all these financial services in the grow and develop in the future. Is there anything else that you want to share with us that we haven't covered? I think one of the things that I kind of really want to highlight, I think when I first kind of felt like there was a really missing piece uh, in the kind of crypto market uh, for investment opportunities, that was uh, back in, I think it was in 2020, March, when, and this was in the weekend, I think it was a Saturday, that I don't remember if it was the Saudis or the Russians, but it was a news saying that they will start an oil war. They will basically crash the oil price. This came to the news market in the weekend. As a private investor, I really want to exit and go into gold now. And as a private investor, that is basically, it's not possible. You have to wait till the market and traditional financial markets open uh, nine o'clock on the Monday morning before you can actually enter it. Institutional, like big institutional investors, they will always be able to find an opportunity to, to enter into a gold position also in the weekends. Gold, we really need to have gold as an opportunity on our exchange. Um, because the crypto markets, they are 24-7, 365. So when next time I read in, read, uh, read in the weekend that there's going to be an oil uh, war or that I know that the market's going to crash 9 o'clock Monday morning, I can, I can go into and be exposed to gold in the weekend. 
Um, actually, with SEPA payments, they we have lots of SEPA payments. So we actually, if you, if you initiate a SEPA payment in the weekend and your bank supports it, we will actually be able to also credit your funds in the weekend. So you can actually transfer from your bank uh, to our exchange and then enter gold on the, <laughs> on the Sunday or Saturday and watch the market burn on Monday and know that you're sitting safe on uh, on gold under your uh, digital wallet. But it's especially, it's, it's one of the things that really opens or maximizes the opportunities of, uh, of the crypto markets being 24-7 and having those kind of traditional instruments or, or, uh, or um, assets to, to also enter into. I wonder if maybe cryptocurrency markets and blockchain might be a catalyst to having 24/7 trading on traditional markets. I, I, yeah, I, it's I think it's it's definitely a matter of time. But right now I think the the, the traders that trade in the in the kind of traditional markets, I think they're very happy that the market's closed so they can go home and sleep. So, uh, you know, don't have to check your portfolio at 3, 3 a.m. in the night as you do as a crypto investor. Hey, Stig, um, can you let the listeners also know how they can follow you or follow you on social media? If you want to learn more about nbx.com, uh, you can obviously go into nbx.com or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is nbx.com without the dot. Uh, that is also our Instagram handle. So you can also follow us on Instagram. Um, uh, if you want to follow me, uh, my handle on Twitter is at uh, Matisen. All right. Thanks. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it.